Hi and welcome to you, From Many People's Strength, uh, the podcast that covers Saskatchewan politics and current events. Uh, my name is Corey and my pronouns are he and him. And my name is David. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, or he, him. And we've got a long list of articles this time around, but uh, only like roughly five stories to get through. <laughs> so Yeah, there's a lot to talk about in each one and I, I, will, uh, I will try and refrain from being my normal verbose self, try and keep things a little bit more contained. <laughs> we'll try to be as brief as possible. It's, yeah. It, it's, there's, it, there's big stories. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, not even just uh, the fact that we, you know, had some uh, time off again. Uh, just need to just skip a, skip a week. Um, but just even had it not been for that, there would be a lot to talk about, or at least the stories there are to talk about are, are quite big. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I mentioned this on my other show because I missed two weeks of publishing things as well. It's uh, just extra work because everybody at my workplace, a whole bunch of them got COVID and then my dad was sick. So then I just didn't have any time to do any editing or recording. So, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you have a life outside of doing podcasts, so this this is not your career. As much as it would be awesome if it could be, yeah. I think everyone knows that this is not a not a a, a career uh, type scenario for you at this point. Yeah, this is a side gig, and if I uh, don't have forty hours to put into each show, then then they suffer. Okay. <laughs> so, so I guess we might as well start off. I, I won't bring it up on the screen because it's Ryan Miley steps down as uh, the leader of the NDP. Um, He's going to stay on as the interim leader until a new leader is found. And uh, yeah, Yeah, it's, it's, I kind of think this was predictable in a way. I guess. I I, I know some people are drawing conclusions with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, loss in what was it uh Athabasca yeah because it was uh normally a uh an NDP stronghold or it was viewed as an NDP stronghold yeah. uh but uh but the SAS party took it and i'm not entirely convinced that that's the reason for this because i think i don't know I think with 24% of registered voters voting in that election, it's pretty hard to say that that's a definitive victory for the SAS yeah. party. Um, yeah, like Riley has, Riley, Miley has at times both impressed me and been um, meteorically underwhelming. Um, we've talked about, the NDP of the last however many years. NDP since Roy Robineau has essentially been a string of relatively nondescript, relatively um, similar carbon right. copy white dudes. Like it's from Calvert to Miley. I I, I could probably <laughs> name most of them in between oh, well, just because that's... I've heard the names. But if you put all of their pictures up on a screen and ask me to tell you which ones were which. Oh, uh, there you go. I don't, I don't know if I could. Um, the thing that frustrated me the most about Miley coming in, he ran for leadership 
I believe it was 2009 and again in 2012. So he had run previously for the leader on two separate occasions before winning the leadership in 2018, mm-hmm. but, but didn't like didn't go for a seat. So he didn't actually run to be an MLA until after he became the leader of the party. Mm-hmm. And okay, if, if you just sort of came in, if, if 2018 was the first time you yeah. ran, sure. But how come after 2009, when he said, you know, I'm interested in becoming the leader of this party, he, he didn't, like, get more involved in actually being in the party. Right, um, right. Yeah. Like, and I guess there's other ways to support a political party other than being an MLA, but that's kind of where you should be putting your focus if you're going to be the leader in the legislature. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to resign less than four years after winning the leadership seems yeah it, it it seems like abandoning things just because you didn't win now maybe the idea being is if I couldn't win um, you know they deserve someone who can and you know fair enough I, I guess maybe I'd be frustrated if he demanded to stick around even when a better leader would do yeah better. yeah that's fair but I don't know he won I think what was it 72 percent support from delegates at the convention. Um, That's still a pretty strong leadership vote. Yeah. Like I think if he came in under 60%, like even, you know, at that point, you know, if you come in at even, even slightly more, like you come in at like only 62% support from delegates. Okay. Maybe that's a sign you need to, you need to move aside. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's, it seems unfortunate. Um, although it also seems like the party might end up picking a non-generic white guy this time. That's true. Um, yeah. And, and, and maybe actually go with the best candidate. Um, yeah. Cause, it, cause that, it always gets twisted the other way. Oh, if you're not picking, you know, if you're picking someone this out or the other thing, Oh, why don't you just go with the best candidate? I'm like, <laughs> they are like, yeah, that's right. They are <laughs> the, the nondescript white dude. Who's never been in the legislature in his life wasn't the best person available. There yeah. were, there were some really strong candidates who never even made it into the top three or four, right? Like at the end of the day, last time around the final couple people that I was sort of came down to again, again. were bland generic white dudes. Right. Um, and so it sounds like this time around there, there might be something a little different to pick from. Um, and we're going to be able to pick from, strong legislators who have been doing the work for, yep. for a few years now. Um, and I'm, I'm optimistic that that might actually put some, put some spark into things. Yeah. There was an article that came out on, uh, looks like February 22nd. So about five days ago, talking about some of the, uh, uh, some of the potential candidates. Uh, there's Betty Nippy Albright. Uh, there was Carla Beck, uh, Nicole Sarer, uh, though uh, this morning uh, she put out a tweet saying that she's not going to be running and put her support behind Carla Beck. So, yeah. and Alina Young was the other, was the other right, the fourth right. name that got sort of put out there. Uh, but Alina also falls into that category again, more experience than Miley had, but has only been um, right in the legislature since the last election. Although prior to that, she has uh, considerable experience on uh, Regina city council, which is sort of where I know her from or know her name from, I should say. Right. So yeah, it'll be interesting. If, if those are the four candidates that are in the running, then 
you know, I, I, or I guess three. Um, right. Yeah. If uh, Sar uh, has, has said she's not running, then like honestly, I'm, I'd be pretty, pretty damn happy with any of the three. Um, all of them are again strong legislators, um, strong voices in the community. Um, I, I think willing to actually take a stand on things. Because um, at the end of the day, I think that's like maybe there's others who disagree with me on that. Well, I'm sure there are. But I honestly still to this day think the biggest thing that's hampering the NDP is they've been trying to be too safe. They've been spending so much time and energy trying not to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's that. not, it, it doesn't inspire anybody, right? No. <laughs> so. Right. And like, why do you worry about someone? Okay. If someone's never going to vote for you, if they're, no matter what you do, they are never in a million years going to vote for you. Then why worry about making them hate you less? Yeah, that's right. That's right. 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 And yeah. as, as much as, as much as Carl Rove is a horrible person, um, and as much <laughs> as his political philosophy yeah. was on the other end of the political spectrum, his idea that you don't need to, you don't need to win the center. You need to motivate your base. Um, I think is problematic in many ways. And I think maybe we do need to have a little bit of balance <laughs> there. Um, but there's something to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, it is a Instead, road to victory more yeah, so than if there else. are 30 people who are current SAS party supporters and you yeah. can bend yeah. and cave and be bland and boring on so many things, you win two of those 30 supporters over to your side. Or if you have 30 people who are currently staying home and not voting at all, and you can get 10 of them energized and excited about coming to the polls because they think you actually stand for something, yeah. that latter one's better. Right. Now, admittedly, the two people you pull over also take away two votes from the other side, right? So again, there is something to be said for trying to have platforms that appeal to more than just your base. But I also, again, think you got to then come up with ideas that appeal to centrists, use the dirty word, um, <laughs> yeah. not just trying to be scared of offending the the far right. Because they're right. going to be offended no matter what. Exactly. Like, there is nothing you're going to do. There's no policy that you could do that's going to make John Gormley wake up in, right. in a couple months ago. You know what? That NDP, man, we should get us in voting for them. Like, no, that's not going to happen, right? So stop worrying about what fodder you're giving to John Gormley because yeah. he'll find something. That's right. It doesn't matter what you do. You could come out and have a policy that says... It, you could literally Drinking have... water is good for you. And he'll be like, <laughs> yeah, fucking right. liberals making you drink water all the time, right? Like, it doesn't matter they what it is. They want to force you to drink water. Yeah. yeah. You know who else forces people to drink water? Water borders. Like, it'll yeah. be, no matter what you do, they will find a way of twisting it. So instead yeah. of softening your approach on everything, have some bold policies, like have something that legitimately gets people excited. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, that's, <laughs> I, I've, I've ranted on this soapbox a few times, um, and I'm I'm excited that we might hopefully get someone who uh, who understands that. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, one of our, our third article regarding the the NDP leadership. 
just kind of is a discussion of how they this exact thing like uh, do they rebrand do they come up as a, a kind of a new party or do they just go with a new leadership or like what exactly is the NDP or the quote unquote electoral like left gonna do in uh, Saskatchewan to you know get more support yeah. and I've I've been on there's there was a a, a Twitter Spaces discussion a few. Oh, I don't know. Got to be a week and a half ago now where people were discussing the progressive, like, what do progressives do in Saskatchewan now? And this seems like there's a little, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot that can be done. We could actually like, if we, and I include myself in this because I will be voting for the NDP next time there's an election. But uh, if the left could come forward with a, a vision that can inspire more than 30% of the populace to vote in the next election. I think they really could pull this out. We'll see. Yeah. Like it, it's, it'll be, it'll be an interesting phenomenon. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's um, the last provincial election had just barely over 400,000 people vote. Um, you know, if you look back into um, I'm just looking at the that third article. Um, you know, talks about 1958, 1960. Um, you know, they had nearly 700,000 people vote, and the population right. of the province was significantly smaller. So, <laughs> so there's not like when less than 50 percent of your population is voting, which yeah. I, I guess not all of those people are voting age uh, eligible voters, but. If you're like at that level, then something is going on, right? Yeah. And like I look at this chart of voting history in Saskatchewan. If you look at the final election before the creation of the Sask Party. So if you look 1995, that was the last election pre-Sask Party. The Conservatives were in third place. The NDP had like it was a three-party province at that point. The NDP had either either over or close. I think they had over 50% of the vote in a three-party system. Right. From the looks of things, next was liberal and next was conservative, or at the very least conservatives and liberals were neck and neck. So you have 75% of the province voting for a progressive party. Right. Now, the liberals were pretty right-leaning in Saskatchewan, and they did move on to um, join the, the Saskatchewan party. Right. Um, like that's a huge shift from from then to today, and that's only twenty seven years. Um, yeah. So, like, I think there's obviously people in the province who do support progressive ideas, yep. um, even if the the current branding of them isn't isn't in their style. And again, like I said, it's I think you you excite people, um, gets you more people than trying to be non offensive. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, speaking as someone who actually generally doesn't like electoral politics, when I see the party that I would vote for pulling to the right and being more apologist for uh, those kinds of policies, that turns me away from even being involved. Happens all the time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, And, like, I get called both a centrist and, like, 
a super duper lefty commie, like pretty much in equal portion. So I don't know uh, <laughs> which uh, or I also get called like a, a right wing nut job too. So um, I guess maybe that does make me centrist. I don't know, but again, I just, I just think, think I'd almost is the, it's the Hamilton line, right? It's I'd rather vote for someone who stands for something, even if it's something I disagree with than someone <laughs> who stands for nothing. And right. the, the NDP have been a party of Aaron Burr, for a good 20, 30 years now. Like since Lauren Calvert, we've had nothing but Aaron Burr in charge. Um, and I think you need to you need to move past that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Scott so Moe, the SAS party, and COVID. And I put them all together because uh COVID, I, I feel like the SASC party and Scott Moe's policies are actually keeping COVID alive in our province. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, a good place to start is kind of like uh, we are ending our mandates. All mask mandates and everything is ending as of uh, March 1st. So uh, earlier in the pro- in the month, they cut off counting of cases and they cut off uh, the vaccine uh, mandates for various places, which I mean – to give them some credit on the cutting off of the vaccine mandates, some of those rules were really weird. <laughs> like, like we've talked about that before, where in order to go get alcohol and take it home, I have to have a vaccine passport. But to go to church and sit in a pew with a hundred people, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So- no, it, it was it was a hodgepodge. I, I would argue, perhaps, that that was more. Um, perhaps we needed to uh, simplify or. Yeah, tighten them up in the other direction rather than just abandoning abandoning yeah, them all sure, together. Sure, but you know you're right; they certainly were inconsistent and haphazard. Yeah. So, so, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of the uh, no masking and and things, especially when we're still uh, having very high numbers. And in fact, uh, there is one of our articles is talking about Scott Moe talking about how the death rate is concerning. <laughs> February, like February. <sighs> One of the issues that we talked about how things that they're not reporting at all, they've also put delayed reporting in for deaths. Yeah. So we actually don't know what the death rates are until like two weeks after. Right. Um, so we're, we're seeing this weird delayed response, but from everything we can tell, or a week and a half, I guess I think it's about a 10 day delay from everything we're seeing February, 2022 is going to be the highest number of COVID deaths since COVID started in yeah. Saskatchewan. And, and- like, <sighs> <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> right? Like it's we're getting rid of it when it's at its worst. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you have a, this big hurricane response and like you put all these guidelines in place and you put all these rules in place and then all of a sudden in the midst of the worst part of the hurricane you, you lift them all. Yeah. Right when the storm's at its heaviest. And I guess we don't we we're not feeling it because we've just gotten used to it. Right. Um but, but also, like, like some of these mandates, some of these mandates that are being lifted, like they literally don't hurt anybody's day to day life. Like we're all going to work in person. We're all yeah. going to the restaurant when we want. We're all going to <laughs> buy weed yeah. and buy pot, uh, booze. You know, we're all doing all the things. So what what exactly is lifting these restrictions doing? And I don't know maybe that's the thought is they're not doing anything to prevent it either. Like I don't, they're just not. Maybe. sufficient enough so why bother well 
I mean, having them at all. I don't know if that's maybe the, I don't know. (laughs) I think, I I mean, I'm like, uh, I think we probably agree that that probably implies that we should have a little bit harder restrictions. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. (laughs) So, so, but instead we're going the other way. Yeah, I don't know what the, the answer on that front is. It it just seems bizarre that when things are at their worst, we go, oh, yeah. that's wrong. The other thing <laughs> that is fucked up um, is putting in rules that prevent um, individual organizations, companies, um, school boards, whatnot, from having their own rules. Right. So yeah. it's it, like... like this isn't just, okay, the government's not going to force you to have these rules anymore. It's also, yeah. oh, also you're prohibited from having these rules. Yeah. Like the complaint had been for how long we don't want big government telling us what to do, even if it's to save lives, freedom, freedom, freedom. Oh, but if it's freedom from for companies to actually have their own guideline, no, 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 no. Now it's, it's not okay for government overreach when it's to save lives, but government overreach to require people getting dead that's okay (laughs) yeah that's fine governments implementing rules that kill people isn't a breach of freedom governments implementing rules to save people is the breach of freedom right yeah i I don't understand messed up Uh, because you know what like if if someone honestly super small government doesn't believe you know big let's business operate on its own you know like i'm gonna have some disagreement we've had some people who have commented in our our YouTube videos, like they and I are going to disagree maybe on the broad philosophy, but I can respect if you're going to be consistent. Okay. I understand you're putting a greater value on a certain principle than I do. Yeah. But then you throw that exact principle <laughs> out when it doesn't win for your team in favor of whatever, <laughs> like prohibiting individual companies from having guidelines in place is as big government as requiring those guidelines. Yeah. Like if you have a health inspector that comes in and says, Hey, you're not allowed to have rat feces in your food. Okay. Yeah. That's big government telling restaurants what to do, but it's also (laughs) big government telling restaurants what to do. If a health inspector comes in and says, you're required to put rat feces in your food. Yeah. Like these are also, Big government overreach. (laughs) And I don't, like, it baffles me that the small government libertarian crowd all of a sudden doesn't have a problem with government overreach when it's governments requiring companies to not have COVID guidelines. Yeah. Because, Because if it was, like, if your thought process was, okay, but we, you know, it's the tyranny of private industry... Okay, sure. But that's never been a libertarian argument any other time. That's never been a libertarian argument that, okay, companies imposing rules on employees or customers is also a form of tyranny. That's that's antithesis of libertarian view. Yeah, like libertarians. uh, (laughs) uh, Libertarians actually believe that that's true, like or that that is okay. The tyranny of your boss is fine. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you should also be okay then with companies saying you can't come in without a mask. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. Like if, if a company wants to continue to have those extra rules, why are you now all of a sudden okay with the government prohibiting that? Yeah. Like I, I I'm like 
the flip said, oh, well, you're being hypocritical. She was like, no, I'm okay with governments putting restrictions on things. <laughs> I think it is the role of the state to have certain limitations within reasonable bounds. Like, right. I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, red in the wool Canadian in that, like, I'm a big believer in the first article of our constitution that says all of this, all of our rights are not constitution in the charter. All of our rights are subject to reasonable limits. I think the reasonable yeah. limits clause is probably the most quintessential Canadian yeah. <laughs> constitutional element you could imagine that says, okay, we believe in all these things, but let's be reasonable. Like, like, these will I think be limited. It is a reasonable <laughs> limit to say, yeah. "Here are some rules so that you don't accidentally murder people." That seems reasonable. That seems okay. <laughs> but trying to make the argument from the other side, of it, like, okay, but I think it's reasonable to require you to murder people. Like that is not an equivalence. Yeah. No. Sorry, I'm right. getting myself all. Worked up. <laughs> that's it's, right. It's just me off so much that the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy are so freaking blatant and yeah. no one on the right seems to be having a problem with that level of inconsistency that they're all of a sudden fine with big government if it's their side being big government. Sorry, we should move on <laughs> to a different story because I don't know how much more there is to say. Yeah, no, I don't think there's that. much too much more we'll to say. We'll report in two weeks about how the death rate in February actually was the highest right. in all of freaking COVID. So Yeah. The only other thing uh, was, and it, it speaks to the same thing, is like the Saskatchewan party uh, renewed the emergency order on the same day that uh, – for the same day that uh, all COVID-19 measures are going to be res uh, lifted. Yeah. It really points to that exact same situation where they're they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, really. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. the emergency is labor <laughs> laws exist. <laughs> right? Like the the emergency is oh, it's an emergency that we're not able to suspend labor rights whenever we want and we can't violate contract because all of a sudden as a conservative, I don't believe in the sanctity of contract law anymore. Yeah. Like one of the key differences again, the SAS party is certainly not libertarian by any stretch. Like, like when you do look at libertarians, one of the key differences between libertarian and anarchist, like there's there's a bunch of them, obviously. Yeah, I'm, obviously. I'm, I'm <laughs> but like, is the idea that the the state still has a pivotal role in the enforcement of contract? Like, yeah, one of the like universal across ninety nine point nine percent of libertarians, they will tell you. You know what? What is the limited role of the state? What are the three things you do think the state should do? They One of them those contracts <laughs> is the enforcement of contracts. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Like that's that's pretty key to libertarian philosophy. Is that private citizens can sign contracts with each other? The contracts need to be sacrosanct in order for trust to exist in the private sphere. The state should be responsible for enforcing those. That is a a functionally beneficial role for the state. Um, <laughs> but not when it's feasible yeah. for the government to go, oh, no, we just don't feel like it. We right, don't have right. to, we don't want to have to honor the contract of our health workers. Health workers aren't important during a pandemic, but it's an emergency and we require them. Mm -hmm. Somehow. Mm -hmm. Do the <laughs> right. Alberta approach and just make it illegal for them to quit. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. That's not big government though, right? No. no. All right, so we'll move on a little bit to uh, the convoy. Uh, I've got a few stories here where they uh, we did have a convoy protests or convoy style protests in Saskatchewan in in both Regina and Saskatoon. 
Um, the one in Regina that I have in the article, uh, there was a truck towed and, uh, <laughs> the farmer who had his truck towed is very unhappy with this. <laughs> and uh yeah. Was, yeah, that's about I, it, I guess. Oh, oh no. <laughs> like I got into a bit of an argument on Reddit about this because I said, like, okay, so the consequences that of protesting that leftists, indigenous land defenders, uh Black Lives Matter protesters all have all felt multiple times. This guy actually felt a consequence for protesting his thing. Yeah. And now he's super unhappy about it. And all of his supporters are super unhappy about it. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. This, I mean, I mean, you're not getting yeah. any sympathy out of me except to say like, okay, yes. Sometimes the police come down on protesters too much. Yeah. 100%. Well, and like <laughs> this thing, this thing with like Scott Moe, um, going to fight uh, the Emergencies Act in Ottawa. Oh, in yes. Court. Also ironic with our last story of he's fine, fine with extending the Emergencies Act in Saskatchewan that he's had in place for significantly longer, but also it is unreasonable for the Emergencies Act in Ottawa that Trudeau had for a few days and then ended the second he didn't need it anymore. Don't get me wrong, not a huge Trudeau fan and having to defend <laughs> Trudeau lately has been a little bit nauseating. <laughs> but like, on this, I you know, I gotta hand it to him. Like he said he would stop using it the second he needed to stop using it, and like he was yeah, true to no, his word true. on it. Um but like if yeah, I almost called Kenny Klein. Um, <laughs> if Kenny and Mo uh, win, I'll be happy. Like if they get the Emergencies Act struck down and have it declared unconstitutional great that's a win this is a tool <laughs> that is going to be like it was it was a law put in place by a conservative government yeah largely with the intent of suppressing left wing <laughs> like like this yeah. is this is a right wing piece of legislation that fucks over the left or would fuck over the left as a as a sort of damocles over the head of left wing protests yeah, great. Yep, <laughs> let's, that's right. let's fight all of these things so that when they get used to far more harsh extents against BLM protests or against indigenous protests, like, like that would be that would be wonderful. Um, <laughs> yep. So like exactly. I hope they do win. Like I, I absolutely sure. hope Mo wins. Like the, it's it's gone now anyways, so you know, great. Um, yeah. yeah. But like if it gets struck down, I, I, I'll be super happy. So, anyways. The, my first thought when I saw that uh, Mo and Kenny were going after, uh, going a, a, to fight the Emergencies Act, uh, I, <laughs> my first thought was, what about fiscal responsibility? <laughs> like, this is going to cost money. Oh, that yeah, money, for sure. You know, this money could go to something beneficial to citizens of Saskatchewan. People always ask when you want to put into a, pro a program in place that helps people, where's this money coming from? Well, where's the money coming from every time we go to court? Every time one, <laughs> one level of government sues a different level of yeah. government and government is paying for government. Yeah. No, you're right. 100%. See, where are my fiscal responsibility bros are? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, come yep. on. 
Oh yeah, for sure. But like again, I'm on the opposite <laughs> side of them on this. I think it'll be great if they win. It'll be it, it'll be a, a triumph for yeah. you know left wing protests. Yeah, you know, and you know, left wing protesters in the future, if this gets struck down, will have Scott Moe and Jason Kenny to thank okay. for the court precedent on yeah the <laughs> like if it you know that'll be that'll be great. Um, do I think it'll happen? No, I think. Yeah. Mo and Kenny will get laughed out of court um, because the Emergencies Act is 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 reasonable. Um, it is um, it is quite frankly a softer version of the War Measures Act yeah. that we don't have anymore, right? Like it's or if we do, it's not. Implemented. I don't actually know if it was repealed. Um, uh, to the best of my to, knowledge, it was like yeah, yeah, repealed. I, so I basically, that- think it was repealed, and then the the Emergency Measures Act was brought in. Um, after because we still needed something. Yeah. Um, so again, my 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 knowledge of history on that is a little bit fuzzy, but I know um, lots of people have been talking about it lately. So that's the the information that yeah. seems to be in my head. <laughs> so, like this isn't the same War Measures Act that Trudeau Senior implemented. No, that's the right. one that were the Emergency Act. I think was eighty eight that it was brought in. I think it was Mulroney who brought in this one. Yeah. Um, I think I, and I, again, I think it was in response to the War Measures Act being essentially struck down or, or repealed. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's this weird topsy turvy. You're, you're, you're really fighting for the other side. So good on you because <laughs> the other side's the side I like. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. What else was there with this convoy thing? Um, there was, I don't know. There was some stuff uh, that went on down at the North portal gate, uh, like border crossing, um, I don't think anything too major happened in Saskatchewan. I know there was a lot of news in Alberta about uh, the blockades and stuff. And tactically, I'm not entirely against what has been done by the convoyers and and like they they're obnoxious in a lot of ways. Like and especially the stuff in Ottawa where they're honking their horns 24 hours a day and they were like disturbing regular people. Uh, but as a as a tactic, some of what they did has potential to be used, I think, by people with good causes. Yeah. So. And I think, yeah, the use of heavy machinery in a protest is new, right? Like yeah, that's not yeah. a, that's not a thing that you see in other protests. Um, it makes a smaller group of people more powerful yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, cause the left is often, being either small groups of people, or if they have a cause that you can get a lot of people behind, then you have the large groups. But, but even, even a large group of people still ends up with lots of uh, backlash, and and like you you still don't have that ability to shut down things the way you do if you have like giant machinery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that was where this came from too, right? Like in total, in terms of total number of people. Um, this protest had way, way, way less than many of the others that have gone. It's just yeah. they came with tanks. Yeah, um, that's right. So not actual tanks, obviously, <laughs> but like you, you know, you come with a semi um, that that has an impact. Yep. Um, you know, we talk about Regina, um, like our impact or Saskatchewan's impact um, on South Albert. A week ago. Um, I remember it because I, I I took a picture as I was going by. 
the owner of Vortex Power Wash Limited used one of his company trucks to blockade the entrance to another business. Mm -hmm. So they were blockading the entrance to a pharmacy um, with their giant ass semi yeah. um, while people wave fuck Trudeau um, flags right. and whatnot, right? Like it's, um, that's, that's not a, like if it was, just the 10 guys with flags standing on the sidewalk outside of the pharmacy. Eh, okay. Maybe someone might not go to that pharmacy. Right. Having the giant ass semi truck. Um, it makes guarantees a difference. It. Yeah. It guarantees yeah, that right? you can't go in there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but we'll see, right? Like um, I, I hope there's actual consequences that do exist within the private sphere for some of these trucks as well right like it's um i remember going okay well i now know never you know never to use vortex power wash limited and um i went to their website and one of the services they offer is um like covid disinfectant cleaning services for your business i'm like okay hey maybe don't hire the covid <laughs> conspiracist to be the yeah. one to clean your business for covid yeah that's right and there so. is actually online like there, there is a uh a, uh, a spreadsheet going around uh, with businesses that have and and kind of and pointing out their their position on COVID mandates uh, throughout Saskatchewan. Uh, I know that oddly oh, enough, yeah. the right has been very uh, against this uh, <laughs> uh, collection of names and collection of business names and de uh, describing their COVID uh, opinions. Oh yeah, for sure. And like, I've talked a couple times. I can't remember if I've, I've done this on our podcast before. One of the difference between a liberal and a leftist, because like I always have that, like, okay, where exactly is that line? Um, and one of the big ones um, is a leftist is happy is is willing to use unjust means to accomplish a just cause, whereas a liberal is. Yeah unwilling to ever use unjust means for just cause. It doesn't matter how just the cause mm -hmm. and is okay using just means for an unjust cause. Like right. the, <laughs> the idea of a liberal yeah. is that you're, you're, you're hyper-focused on the means, not the end. Right. Whereas the left and the right tend to be a lot more focused on the ends. And it doesn't matter what means you use to get there. Right. Um, and you have this sort of utilitarian arguments and all of that. To various degrees, the yeah. Next, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to protesting, we get very, very – even people on the left will sometimes get sucked into that liberal idea. Okay, I need to be consistent when I talk about what type of protesting I'm okay with. Right. And at times, you need to go, well, no. It, it, yeah, like we do need to look at what we are protesting for. Yeah. Like what is the – like we can't just evaluate the tool in isolation. You can't just say it's never okay to use a hammer. You need to sometimes <laughs> say like, when is it okay to use a hammer? When is it okay to use a certain tool? Yeah. Um, yep. And I think there's value on both sides. I think there's, you know, you have to look at the tool as well. Sometimes you're going, okay, like that, that I particular understand, tool I understand your goal. <laughs> yeah. This tool we should not like. Yeah. Again, you need to look at both sides of it, and I don't want to get trapped into both sidesism. <laughs> again, I think this idea of you know what we you, using um, private 
tools, private communication methods for recognizing the shitty behavior of companies. Yeah, that's okay. Seems um, fair to me. But, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, yep, for sure. One of these uh, stories on the uh, on the Emergency Measures Act uh, was an interesting uh, agreement between the left and the right in Saskatchewan. Uh, the NDP also came out with a, some people, some members of the NDP caucus saying that they uh, didn't think that the Emergencies Me- Emergencies Act needed to be uh, invoked. So, yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's not, fair. Not too often they agree. Nope. <laughs> so, like, the left and the right do agree that they hate Trudeau. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they'll yeah. agree for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I you know, I would yeah. often argue that the right hates Trudeau for reasons that are incomprehensible and make no sense. <laughs> fair, <laughs> but they hate him for because he's not on their team. He's the he's yeah. on the other team. Right. Like he hates like the right to a large extent hates Trudeau for the same reason a Ryder fan hates the Blue Bombers. Like, yes. they haven't like, OK, yeah, there's probably a few things they've done that you don't like. But for the most part, they're pretty darn similar to your guys. Yep. Um, but they're the other team. And if he was on your team, you'd like him. <laughs> that, that being said, though, you know what? I'm going to the left sometimes does the same. Oh yeah. Like yeah. I think there are legitimate criticisms of Trudeau. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am a long way from a Trudeau fanboy. Um, but you know, yeah. even just this last couple days, I know we're going to touch a little bit on the, the Ukraine Russian situation at the end. Yeah. I saw someone who I know was pretty far left um, going after Christia Freeland for the Ukraine stuff. And like, the whole, you know, her great grandfather was a Nazi well, collaborator a hundred years ago. Like, like th- a lot of that can come from the left. That's been fairly well. consistent on the left, actually. Like the the Christian yeah. Freeland cons- uh, uh, criticism. Yeah, because yeah, so but using the using the Russian invasion, like becoming pro Russia because yeah, because the <laughs> Ukrainian, like that that shit from the. That shift from the left is is pretty shitty. Yeah, um, yeah, and attacking the liberals for their support of Ukraine is pretty shitty. Yeah, yeah. Um, like again, that's that's not a that is not a rational reason for going after the liberals. Um, no. And the fact that Russia was communist a half century ago is a pretty <laughs> weird reason, and not like yeah. a pretty authoritarian yeah. version yeah. of communist yeah. 30, fifty years ago. Um, yeah, there's I've a seen, pretty weird reason for someone on the left to support Putin. Um, well, okay, and I, my history might not be perfect on this, but what I under what I seem to recall, what I've read a little bit, Putin was part of bringing down the Soviet Union. Like he wasn't like a buddy to. You know, uh, I think it was. Oh, I'm. I better not say any names because yeah. I'm going to be wrong, but. Right. If I recall correctly, he wasn't just like he was. He wasn't like the communist guy who was like, "Yeah, actually, why are we why are we turning our country into a capitalist country?" Like he was. No, he's on, been an authoritarian all along, yeah. right? Like he was an authoritarian within the Soviet Union. Yeah. And when the Soviet Union fell, he saw the opportunity um, and had very little. Yeah. Like, yep. 
he's an opportunist and and ever since and yeah. ever since he took power he has been uh changing the rules every yeah. time that he's supposed to end his reign he changes the rules so that he can continue yeah. so yeah <laughs> a president for life is not democratic no that's um, right um, so so and like again people say you know don't call don't call Putin a dictator but I'm okay calling Trudeau a dictator right um, right it's I I saw the phrase and I shit you not when talking about Trudeau the other day I saw the phrase the dictatorship of democracy <laughs> um, he used nope. he used the election four months ago to impose the dictatorship of democracy. Words. <laughs> Words certainly have meanings. They, they mean things. They yeah. mean things all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. yeah. I know I one of the things that came out of the convoy actually was like some of this Trudeau hate. Uh, and I always feel like I have to preface it. Like I do not like Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but, right. But you can't do a hashtag called blackface Hitler and about Trudeau and pretend that you are on the side of like reasonable, good thinking humanists who, who are on the right side of history. You just can't like, you just can't do that and be correct. Like, yeah. Well, and like you have the conservatives now considering um, Pierre Polivier who like, as of like a couple years ago, used a pretty offensive racial slur for, for black people Yeah, while still going after Trudeau and, and didn't apologize for using a thing Trudeau did in high school that he did apologize for. Yeah, Like, don't get me wrong. What Trudeau did was shitty and yep. awful. Yep. Um, hundred like, percent. I, I think sometimes there's this trap of, Oh, well you're defending him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's shitty and awful. <laughs> I'm glad he apologized. Words aren't the only thing. Um, quite frankly, if he apologized for that and then had led a had led a government that prioritized things like clean water for indigenous communities, support for Black Lives Matter movement, sure. like had had he put his money where his mouth is and backed up his apology with actions more than he has, I think he's done some good things too. Um, um, then yeah, I'd say that that apology does make a difference to me. Yeah. Uh, an apology is important. Uh, just can't be the only thing. Yeah. But when you have somewhere someone like Pierre, where it's just like, no, no, I'm not even going to bother apologizing. I'm going to just say, oh, it's not really a racial slur. I'm like, when everyone knows it is. Yeah. Um. Anyways, that's <laughs> that's outside of the realm of Saskatchewan specific politics. But. Yeah, that's sure. We'll talk about that more as time goes on. So uh, the CBC has an article here. The Saskatchewan, uh, there is no longer a sex designation on the uh, driver's licenses and identification. Mm -hmm. Nope, there still is. You just can choose to have it blank. Yeah, that's right. You can choose to leave it blank. Which is so we've been able to have an X, but now you can just have it blank. Yeah, Um, and that's that's a positive change because having an X draws attention to it. And a lot of times, as much as the right wing likes to portray trans people as all, you know, attention seekers and all that, for the most part, no, just what they're saying is we'd rather just be able to live our lives. And we don't like, we just want to be able to live our lives. 
and yet that doesn't say there aren't activists out there who are drawing attention to important things. But yeah, for a course. lot of folks, yeah. just like you know what? No, I I just don't want it on there. It's not important to be on there. I don't want to. I don't want to have that. So. Yep. And then, and this is something that I think is good too: the SAS power to spend two million on EV fast charging stations. Uh, Twenty of the f- of the facilities will be built on major corridors. So, this is really cool. Yeah. I mean, the more I mean. Okay, so uh, the environmental crisis that we are actually ignoring because we're in a pandemic <laughs> is not solved by electric cars, but it does help. Uh, <laughs> so this is yeah. good. Just, I think, yeah. objectively good. And for those who understand electric car, cars, these are um, going to be level three charging stations. So when they say fast charge, they're not even just meaning level two. These are going to be level three charging stations. So... Um, that means you can, it'll just be about a half hour charge to, to fill your tank as it were. So yeah, it is still slower than gas. Um, but, but, but it's great. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a big win. I would, uh, <laughs> totally random. Uh, I think that I would like an electric car just for the fact that when I'm filling my gas tank, I don't have to then stand outside of my car and hold the thing for another 10 liters to go in after it clicks off the first time. <laughs> Fair. Honestly, like for mine, like you can buy level two chargers for your house as well. Um, and they basically are the equivalent of like a dryer outlet. Right. Vent. Um, like it's their, their 220. It goes 110, 220, I think. I'm again, not a, I'm not an electricity guy. Um, but I just put mine into a regular wall outlet. I never bothered investing in the the, the level two charger because I never needed it. I always right. meant to get around to it. But for the five years I owned an electric car, never once needed it. And it's just, you get home, you plug it in. It's almost like, it's almost like you pretend it's winter year round. You get home, you plug in your car. Right. Um, and then you just never have to fill it up with gas. When I had to uh, switch back to a gas powered car, going to a gas station again after five years of almost never having yeah. to do it. Um, the only, cause the only time I ever had to go to a gas station when I had an electric car was on big, long road trips across the country when we used, um, my ex-wife's car, um, not X at the time. And right. yeah, we would, we would drive across the country and, you know, get gas there. But like 360 days a year didn't ever go to gas stations and it was lovely. Yeah. No I love, I hate going to gas stations now. It just, I'm like, I'm like. There's so many times like, ah, like gas lights on. Okay. It says I have 50 kilometers left. I'll wait till it's down to 20. (laughs) I don't want to go stand out in the cold. Like, like, and I know it's a petty. It's, that is a first world problem bar none. I get that. It drives me freaking nuts. So electric cars are so much better than gas. But also like at the price of gas right now, like I spend, Uh, I spend $600 a month on gas going to and from work. So that's not nothing. An electric car would be 60. Usually you can tell it's about a 10 to one ratio. Yeah. So, Um, and, and, uh, and that's just, if you're like, that's, if you're buying all of your electricity from SAS power, that's not even including if you have solar at your house or whatever, and you have your own charging station or or whatnot. Um, During the day I would plug it in at work and then I would, Yeah. Uh, just be aware. Most of those chart, like plug-in spots are only turned on in the winter. <laughs> ah, yeah. 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 
because they're there for block eaters, so they're not yeah. working the rest of the year. Well, but um, I, yeah, my work's yeah, a little no, different, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, no, like I went back when gas was a dollar a liter because that was the price I sort of budgeted out for. When gas was a dollar a liter, the amount of distance I could drive on one liter was about the same as what I could drive on about 11 cents of electricity. Right. Um, so like I did the math on it. So it, it's usually about, a, like I said, little little less than a 10 to 1 ratio. So um, if you're spending $1,000 a year on gasoline, you'd probably spend about $100 a year on electricity if you had an electric car. Um, yeah. So... Now, again, until these Corolla the ones are built, you can't get all the way to Saskatoon on on a on an entry electric car. Tesla, you probably could, but right. like on a Nissan Leaf, um, okay. at least at least a 2012 Nissan Leaf, um, you could not get to Saskatoon on a supercharge. Well, there, I don't know if a 2022 Nissan Leaf can. They might have just bigger and better batteries too. So, yeah that that would be the that would be the the present the the problem for me because I'm easily, I'm driving basically to and from Saskatoon every day when I go to work. Yeah. So, or a little short, but yeah, yeah. not soon. Uh, but yeah. Sask okay. needs an additional $112.8 million for COVID-19 costs, according to health minister, Paul Merriman, who said the dollars are needed for the massive fourth wave, which he claims was not anticipated. It's too bad he doesn't listen to us because yeah. <laughs> we could have told him. <laughs> yeah. So. Shocking, yeah. right? Yeah. The fact that this happens so often, the, with, with conservative politics, mock <laughs> the people who tell you a thing. Yeah. A year later, go, why didn't anyone tell us a thing? Like we have you on record mocking the people who told you the very thing that now you're saying no one could have ever predicted. Yep. Um, like you must think liberals are magic or leftists are magic. And yeah. you see it with like economic stuff all the time. Um, like going back years, but like I talked about that with the Dutch disease and, and Stephen Harper and, and like, over and over and over again, you have people saying, hey, there's this thing you need to be worried about. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah, tangenting here. It's a, it's a very ranty episode. <laughs> um, this is a preview of 10, 15, 20 years from now when all of these right-wing politicians are going to go, no one could have predicted the impacts of climate change. Yep. No one could have known that this is what would have happened. Yep, that's right. Like, I guarantee it. I guarantee we are going to hear no one could have known. In the same way, again, we said we're going to talk about Russia and Ukraine in a bit, but like you still have, like no one could have known Trump's policies towards Russia would have led to what is happening now. Like, yeah, no, this is what like, people said for this. Eight years now, people have been saying this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. For eight years, people have been saying this is what's going to happen in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, for. Two years, people have been saying this is what's going to happen with COVID in Saskatchewan um, in general terms and in specific terms for the last two months. Yep. yep. We have been saying, and people far smarter than you and I have been saying, <laughs> we're going right. to get hit with a fourth wave. Fourth wave. Yeah. We've known this. And, and like, like lifting restrictions is going to make it worse. Yeah. We've known this. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry. It's it's fucking bullshit, and I'm angry. If if you want us to think that you're either not dumb or not lying, then you have to actually pay attention to what's being said by, you know, like, by leftists and liberals and people who, scientists, like, either you can't hear us or you're not paying attention to what's being said. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, I think... Weatherspoon talked about how, like, the costs are a reflection of the provinces mismanaging the pandemic. Mm. And the mismanagement has cost Saskatchewan people their lives, but it's also costing us money. Like, it did, it, like, in the prioritizing lives versus the economy, the SAS party fucked both. Yep. That's Um, right. It's, like, it's pretending you don't have a problem. And it's going to get worse. We are going to have a greater healthcare crisis coming out of the pandemic because of the stress put on the healthcare system that didn't have to be. Like, I, I like when it comes to the Federal Emergencies Act, I do think it was justified. But you know what? I can I can definitely accept the argument on the other side. Like, was it overkill? Like, again, I disagree, but I, I don't begrudge someone saying maybe it was more than was needed. Um, sure, sure. The Saskatchewan Emergencies Act, all they're using it for is to abuse healthcare workers. That's yeah. the only thing they're using it for. They're not using it to make the province safer. They're not using it to deal with the actual crisis itself. They're using it as a way of abusing healthcare workers. And what's going to happen is in a year from now, we're going to hear, no one could have predicted that all of our healthcare workers fucking quit um, or like moved to other provinces or other jurisdictions or we've had an increase in stress leave and sick right. leave. Um, we've had increased costs. Oh, no one could have predicted that this would have led to a nurse's strike in a year from now. Uh, no one could have predicted the lawsuit from the healthcare unions. Right. Like, yeah, we can. You're fucking up. Stop doing it. Yeah, so, that's right. Russia invaded Ukraine. <laughs> um, yeah. There, there are bad takes all over the political yeah. spectrum. I don't want to give uh, leftists a pass. I'm seeing. I'm arguing with them on Twitter. I'm seeing them on a Twitch. I'm seeing them everywhere. The bad takes from leftists, but also, but also the right. The right and centrists are also having bad takes of their own. <laughs> so, uh, so here's Scott Moe's bad take on Twitter. Uh, just to be clear, both Canada and the U.S. will continue to import oil from Russia because our national governments consider the construction of oil pipelines from Western Canada a greater threat than Russian, Russia, apparently. So Scott Moe has taken the tragic events uh in Ukraine, the uh, absolute awful behavior by Russia, and he's turning it into a pro-pipeline message for uh, so that he can attack Trudeau. Yeah, and he can claim, oh, we're suffering in Saskatchewan. But you know he'd be the, also the first to complain if there was an oil embargo on Russia. Yes, yes of course. <laughs> right? Like, we know that, right? We all know Mo would have had an identical tweet criticizing yeah. Ottawa if there was an embargo on Russian oil, which, to be clear, I think there should be. Right. Uh, again, I think there should have been eight years ago. Um, 
Yeah. Like, <sighs> and like, again, I want to be careful of my partisanship, not tainting and using this crisis for cheap political right, thoughts. Right. And I, and I, I think there needs to be some acknowledgement and I'm trying to, again, it's, I, I saw how a couple people have used this circumstance to attack Freeland and it's, and it's been, been super gross. So I want to not fall into the same trap yeah. with the Sask party and Mo, but the fact that the fact that our campaign finance regulations in Saskatchewan allow Russian oligarchs to donate to the Sask party mm-hmm. is fucked up. Yeah. Um, like that's not okay. Um, that you have Evraz that is owned by Russian oligarchs yep. funneling money into Canadian political parties of a very specific persuasion. Yeah. Um, the fact that the SAST party has pages of donations received from Evraz um, is worrying. Like that is troublesome. And I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm very nervous about doing the nudge, nudge, imply things, do a smear. And I, and I, I guess essentially that is what I'm doing. And I, I'm, but but it is there. Like yeah. this isn't just a, a weird implication. We know factually, like this isn't a mysterious cabal of um, Rothschilds. That you know, <laughs> right? It's not we the know, globalists. <laughs> no, like this is a specific company owned by specific people giving specific amounts of money to the Sask party. Um, and other political parties in the country as well. Um, and Evraz not receiving sanctions is weird and fucked up, and Canada federally should be doing that. Like, I saw an article today uh, discussing whether or not uh, Russian products should be pulled off of uh, Saskatchewan uh, liquor store shelves. And, I mean, I think, yes, but... I'm not conv- I'm not sure that that's going to do anything, but except send a message, right? It's it's a symbolic thing. How often have you and I talked about? Um, and by you and I, I probably just mean me. Uh, <laughs> talk about one like the the fact that people underestimate the coercive power of the state, and we talk about that a lot on the micro scale when it comes to law enforcement, right? Um, how we don't need to bring in cops with guns as often as we do. And when we talk about white collar crime, you know, we're not advocating for, you know, cops with AK-47s bursting through windows in the headquarters of a tax evader because right. the, there's a coercive power of the state that can levy punishment um, and consequences in a far more varied form. Yeah. And I, I, the fact that when it comes to the Ukraine situation, this talk seems to be oh, should Canada send troops or not? Like, that's its own topic. And quite frankly, I still need to do a hell of a lot more listening on that topic before I I can understand where that goes. And I don't envy the people who will ultimately have to make that decision at some point or who are currently making those decisions. Um, Where are troops? Where should troops be at what? 
level are we assisting when it comes to actual physical violence yeah. uh, as far as selling arms or donating arms or even having troops on the ground to defend what what, what is ostensibly an ally. But aside from that, we have so many other tools in our yeah. tool chest. And the fact that Evraz is not under sanctions... Yep. Um, and you say, okay, well, why are you punishing the private citizens? Fine. Fine. Have Ab- Abramoff, I think, um, is, this, is the yeah. main owner of it, or the oligarch that owns it. Like, okay, if he wants to renounce his Russian citizenship, like, great, he can do that. Well, um, we see, we but, see, uh, so I, sorry to interrupt, but we see yeah, no. why we're, why we would put pressure on private citizens like that or private industry like that, because already there's a number of billionaires from Russia who are saying, Hey, our, the Russian state has gone too far. We can't, we have to stop attacking Ukraine. There has yep. been not a large number, but like two, <laughs> but they're yeah. billionaires. These people have power. They have influence within yeah. the state. So, so if they are affected, then they can affect what's happening. Yeah. So I, I would like to see Russia removed from SWIFT. Hopefully by the time people are listening to this podcast, that's already happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, we're recording Sunday night. So, or Sunday afternoon. So like I said, I'm hoping Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, we see a news article about Russia being removed from SWIFT. Um, I would like to see um, economic sanctions extend to Russian-owned companies uh, or companies owned primarily by Russian nationals like that. At this point, economic, severe economic sanctions, um, I I think, are warranted. And again, this is one of those times where we can sometimes fall into a trap and referencing what I said earlier about are a means inherently good or, or evil or mm-hmm. just or unjust. And I think we've talked in the past or I've, you know, in other contexts talked about how economic sanctions can often be unjust um, because when used against a small fledgling nation, um, not fledgling is the wrong word, but a smaller, a smaller nation from in terms of size of the economy, um, not any sort of qualitative or subjective measure of the country, but just purely in terms of, um, the size of a country's economy. If you're using it against a country with a small economy, in a lot of ways, it's just the everyday people who suffer, not the totalitarians at the top. With a country as big as Russia, that's not actually going to be the case. I think I think you will still see people yeah. on the ground suffer, but I think that's going to happen no matter what at this point. Um, but I, I think that's one of the ways you tighten the screws on Putin. Um is then you like you do start seeing more of the oligarchs pull their support at that point when they're right. when they can't go to their London penthouse or when they are losing money because they can't sell their Russian steel to Saskatchewan. That's wow. where you 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 hit them. Um, and like there's this story has so many different ties to Saskatchewan. Um, I, I know we try and stick to Saskatchewan-based stories, and we could probably do an entire five hours just on the Ukraine situation because of right. all the different connections to Saskatchewan. And Canada has, the, if I'm not mistaken, the largest Ukrainian diaspora in the world, diaspora, diaspora in the world, much of which is in Saskatchewan yeah, that's and, right. and other prairie provinces, right? Like, um, in, I, my, my kids are, are part Ukrainian. 
because their, because their mother is is part Ukrainian, yep. <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so it, yeah. and, and that's that's an almost universal prairie experience, right? right? Yeah, like, like we all have um, direct ties to the events that are going on. You're seeing indigenous communities across the country post pictures of uh, coconut scarves because of their close ties between right. um, the early Ukrainian immigrants and indigenous communities, um, like. A couple weeks ago, I posted a silly picture. Um, I was at a souvlaki restaurant, and I said, "The I said people used to think poutine's the ultimate Canadian dish. No, no, this is the ultimate Canadian dish." <laughs> right. And it was so it was a Donair place because it was like Donair pierogies. Oh and yeah, I'm like that warmed my heart. Right, like <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can get a more Canadian meal than Donair pierogies. <laughs> um, but like. Ukrainian culture is so heavily steeped in this part of Canada. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we are going to be talking about it and hearing about it and, and feeling the impact of this very, very deeply in this province. Um, as, as this story unfolds, I think by the time you and I have a podcast again in two weeks, it's, it's going to be a completely different world for, for people in this province. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, you can find us at anchor.fm slash from many peoples. Our Twitter is at skpoliticspod. We are at facebook.com slash from many peoples strength pod. And you can con- email us at from many peoples at gmail.com or support the show at buymeacoffee.com slash from many peoples. Thank you again for joining me, David. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate all the work you do as always. So. I will let you get onto that 40 hours worth of work you do in <laughs> all of the behind the scenes stuff on your various podcasts. You bet. <laughs>